like um, Edward Scissorhands and Home Alone and um, T2, Terminator 2. I did that that poster and you know, back in my early my back in my early days I did a lot of a lot of movie poster stuff so so the, the whole design the whole design thing is kind of fun because it's something that that's my meat and potatoes and I've translated a lot of the design work that I've done into the fishing world as well I've done a lot of really cool uh, brands for for fishing which is a whole nother story that was Al Q talking about some of the big movies he's worked on in the past including a Grammy he picked up along the way don't you worry today, we'll be focusing on striped bass, tips and tricks. Today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. If you want to support uh, one of our local fly shops, head over to wetflyswing.com slash fly shop. And anything you purchase there will support this podcast at no additional cost to you. So check it out. Click over the link and uh, and see what uh, what we got for the lineup over there. That would be great. Al Q, one of the leaders in the West Coast saltwater game, is here to shed some light on what it takes uh, to get it done with striped bass. We find out some of the best strategies and tips uh, and resources on hitting stripers off the surf what's new with Tail Magazine, and why, if Al only had one species to fish for, it would be Corbina. Listen till the end to find out how to win uh, Al's book or some swag. Just uh, click over wetflyswing.com slash giveaway. You can check it out there. Before we get started, let's hear from our sponsors. TurtleBox is the loudest, truly portable, waterproof Bluetooth speaker available. We believe in respecting the peace and beauty while on the water, but listening to great tunes before or after can be amazing. Why not fire up this podcast or a little music after a big day on the water? Head over to wetflyswing.com slash turtlebox to get started today. Sawyer offers a full line of modern and traditional products for oarsmen, canoeists, kayakers, and paddlers from all genres, providing unsurpassed function, performance, and beauty. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash Sawyer to grab your set today. That's Sawyer, S-A-W-Y-E-R, to get started right now. Without further ado, here is Al Q. How's it going, Al? How you doing, Dave? It's so so good to be here with you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for taking the time this morning. I know it's uh, an early one. We got you up early to get going on this, so this is, this is great to uh, I, you know, I'm not even sure. I always go back to these things and I try to think like, you know, the journey of getting the guests on and I'm not even sure where I first heard of you. I'm, you know, obviously we don't do a ton of saltwater stuff, but somewhere along the line, somebody said, you got to get Al on the show and that's why you're here. So I appreciate you coming on here today. Oh yeah. I'm excited to to talk fishing with you. It's always fun. All right, cool. Well, let, let's just start us off. You know, I always like to go back to the, you know, kind of the beginning just briefly and talk about how you first got into how fly fishing came to be. How, how'd you get into that? Okay. How did I get into fly fishing? Well, I think, you know, as a kid growing up in Brooklyn, I always, I always admired it, but I never really understood it. I, I was a saltwater guy. I did a lot of plug fishing, a lot of spin fishing, a lot of beach fishing. And I used to read, you know, the uh, Saltwater Sportsman, and I used to read all the articles by Joe Brooks and Lefty Cray and all those great legends. And and I, I never had the really never had the mentors when I was a little kid, when I was a teen, you know, like a teenager. So I read everything about it. I was so stoked to do it. And then when I came to California, I decided to take a class. I took a class. Um, this was like in the in the late. Se- I came here in the late seventies, and I took a class. I think in the late eighties uh, with a guy named Neil Taylor. Uh, he, he did a, uh, the science of fly fishing, I think at UCLA and it was like, you know, a, a night class. So I took the class and I told Neil, I said, Neil, you know, I know you're really into the trout thing and it's, I think it's awesome, you know, but I'm a saltwater guy. I just want to literally learn how to use a fly rod and run to the beach. That, that's what I want to do. And he, he laughed at me, you know, <laughs> but we, uh, he got me into the trout thing and it was really cool. And watching him cast, he was a master. And so that's that's how I got started, and then it would by by total serendipity when I was in Brooklyn in my room reading articles about fly fishing. This guy's name used to come up all the time. A guy named Nick Curcion, okay, yep. and he was in Southern California, and I was reading all these articles about Nick. You know, he was catching bonita and Redondo Harbor and fishing the beach, and I was like, man, that guy's really cool. I'd love to meet him someday. And 
I had no idea my family was going to pick up and move to California. So here we are in California, and I go to the, the college that's closest to where we were living, which was Loyola Marymount, and Nick is an instructor there. He's teaching criminal behavior and deviant, criminology and deviant behavior, right? So I meet Nick at one of the barbecues, the alumni barbecues, and we start talking, and I told him I'm into fly fishing, and he kind of like took me under his wing and started to mentor me, and that's really what took me, that's what that's what started my 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 path was with, with Nick fishing the surf in the early way back in the early like late eighties early nineties. So that was that was uh that was it that was it yep. that was my gateway. That's yeah. it. That's it. Yeah, Nick, and obviously he's a name that that a lot of people obviously if you know a little bit about saltwater you've heard of Nick. And uh, is he still is he out he's still out in that area? Yeah, Nick is um he he was living in San Diego. I think now he's out in Palm Springs. Um, he's had a few a few health issues that he's trying to get through, but, uh, he's still very vibrant. He's still got it all together. He's, he's a, he's a great person. You know, he's, I think he still writes. And, um, I talked to him frequently. I had him on a zoom a couple of weeks ago and he was just as funny as it could be. He's cool. one of the funniest men on the planet. He's so, he's great. Awesome. Really yeah. great. Yeah. He's on, definitely been on my list. I'm hoping to get him on too. I, I, maybe we could touch base on that later. I've, yeah, and I've had a number of people. Obviously, you know, there's plenty of older people that are in fly fishing that are great, and, and health is an issue. And I'm trying to think of the last one, um, you know, I had on who had a health issue, um, uh, but you know, I had, I had to wait a couple of years to get them on. You know, they came out of it right, and they they recovered and stuff. So no, that's good to hear um, on that. So yeah, I was going to think, you know, Al, just getting into this. There's a number of species like you mentioned we could talk about. I was hoping to focus a little bit on stripers today. Because I think, you know, obviously there's, it's kind of a species that's exciting. You know, it's a species that's, it's, a, it's an invasive species technically on the West Coast. Um, but when you think about stripers, you've been on both coasts. Is there much difference in the fishing versus kind of like West Coast, California versus the East Coast stuff? You know, I, I don't really think so. I think the striper is, is the basic, this, basically the same fish. I mean, it was just, it was transplanted, obviously, to the West Coast. You know, um, in the early 1900s, it came over on a train, and uh, it, it really flourished in in the, in the San Francisco area because of the big rivers empty into the into the Bay Area, and and you know, stripers need big running rivers to to spawn, and um, that's where they really took a foothold. So, as far as targeting them and catching them, um, I think it's 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 the same on both coasts. They're, they're really a cool fish, and. Me growing up in 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 New York, I um I literally that was the fish that was like the that fish held all the mystique. You know, if you can catch a striper on a on a fly or or even you know any on a plug or on a bucktail, whatever, it was just it was the greatest fish to catch because they were so beautiful and they grew really big. They were great to eat. Actually, they were mm. really good table fare. And um, you can catch them at night. You know, they're really really good fit. The best fishing is at night, actually, for stripers. But it's not as visual. Um, you know, for the fly rod, you want to really concentrate, I think a little bit more in, in the, in the early morning, or late evening. Um, but, uh, they're, they're, they're great. They take poppers, they take streamers. Um, they, you know, they, they don't shy away. They'll eat a fly. If you put a, a fly in front of a striper, they're going to eat it. No kidding. So, um, yeah, yeah. And they pull hard and you know, they're, they're, they're great fish, great game fish. Yeah. And then on the, uh, that's interesting too, on the eating part of it, I want to get into some tips and tricks on fishing and stuff, but so people don't really eat them in California or what, what's the deal there? Oh, no, no. People eat them in California. Okay. Um, they have actually, they, they commercial them in Mexico. They have big fish pens down there. Oh, wow. And they, 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 uh, they actually, because uh, the, the perfect size, you know, you want, you want fish that are like in that three to seven pound size. I mean, those are the perfect fish to eat, you know, because when they get a little bit bigger, they're just not, they don't taste as, as good. But the, uh, the smaller fish are really, really delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, that's good. That's good to hear. I mean, it seems like, you know, the fact that they're, it's almost like the perfect fish, like you said, and not only that, but they're this invasive species in California. So it's like kill more of them, right? Why not kill as many as possible? You're helping, you know, is there, or is there, is the deal that there's so many, there's no way we're going to even put a dent into these fish. You know, I don't know about, um, I, I don't, I don't know about, you know, there's, there's a whole thing about eradicating them in the Delta and all this stuff. And I, I think that they don't, they belong in the Delta. I, I, yeah. I just think the fish, the fishery needs to be managed a little bit better. Right. Um, I, I don't, I don't consider them like, like, a, well, I guess they are invasive when they get into lakes. See, that's the problem. Yeah. The aqueduct system, 
when that stuff was coming out of the aqueduct and they were dumping all the water into all the lakes, that then the stripers became evasive. That's that's where they really became evasive. Okay, but when they were in the salt water and in the estuaries up up north, they're not evasive. That's 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 their territory. That's where they belong. So gotcha. I agree with you. When they're in lakes and stuff like that, um, they do wipe out you know bass and everything. They yeah. eat everything. They eat all the trout, everything. So. Um, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there, but but in in salt water, I, I I don't think we should we should do anything. Just yeah. have, just enjoy them. There yeah. you go, there you go. Just enjoy them. Okay, cool. Well, that's that's good to hear. And uh, you know, obviously, there's you know a ton of people down in California. And is it, does it seem like, as far as a fishery, that it's um, you know when you compare it to popularity it's to say you know I don't know steelhead fishing or salmon or even trout. I mean, is there any comparison there? Are there a lot of guys fishing for stripers? Oh, absolutely. Especially up north. I mean, we, we get stripers here as well. You know, we get them, we get them in, um, let's see, around the Monterey area pretty, pretty regularly. And then from south, we'll, we'll get them along our coastline. They've been, they've been caught all the way even down to Ensenada, Mexico. Hmm. So I, but I, I think those are stray fish that come down. I don't think they're spawning and living down here. Yep. They're just coming down and following bait in schools of yellowfin croaker and, and, you know, uh, sardines, whatever they're eating. They'll eat everything, but they're following the bait, and that's why we see them in the fall. Sometimes we see them in the winter time. Usually, December, January, and uh, February off our beaches in Southern California, you got a good chance of getting one. Um, you really can't say, "Okay, today I'm going to go catch a striper," but we know certain areas that if we concentrate in those areas, there's a really good chance you're going to get one. I have a buddy of mine that that goes, and we fish together, and I've seen him catch them before. You know, and I, I have hooked a few myself, but yeah. Um, He's gotten seven just off the beach here in Southern California, which you'd never think you can catch them off, off the beaches the beach. here. So That's they cool. are around, you know, even San Diego. I have a lot of buddies that catch them in San Diego. So they're, they're here, but we, um, I would say the Northern Cal guys are the guys that are really on them. And there, and there is definitely a brigade of guys that love to fish stripers with flies up there. Okay. So. Okay. And do you, are you heading up? Do you hit the North at all? Or you just stay South? I do. Uh, you know, I, I like to fish the Delta. You know, I'll, I'll fish with Dan Blanton and John Sherman and a lot of the guys up there that really kind of like got it dialed in. Um, and that fishery is great, you know. So I'll, I'll go up there, you know, maybe once a year and fish with those guys up there. Oh, cool. Fish All drivers. right. Well, I want to take yeah. us on, you know, maybe a little journey of somebody, think of somebody that's kind of new to stripers. Um, and, you know, we have listeners all over the country, all over the world and stuff, but we really have a good focus um, when you look at the numbers, listeners in California, you know, and, in, you know, obviously all over the West Coast and, um, you know, and to, you know, other places to a lesser extent. But yeah, I mean, California is pretty amazing, right? There's a lot of people there, but we haven't done a ton of episodes. So I'd like to focus it a little bit for that person that's kind of listening now. So, you know, it, what's the first thing to think about when you're thinking about getting striper fishing? What do you need to get? What do you need to do to, you know, where do you need to go? What would you give them as far as resources if they're brand new to it? Is it going to be a uh, West coast or is it going to be East coast? Yeah. 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 West coast. Let's talk about somebody that lives in the, you know, up in the, like you said, up in the Northern NorCal somewhere. NorCal. Okay. I would say, um, first thing to do is if you're, if you're a, uh, a fly fisher and you want to learn about striped bass, uh, Dan Blanton has a has a uh, a board. Uh, just I would Google Dan Blanton and go to his board. He's got How do you a fantastic mess. B L A N T O N Blanton, and he's got a great message board. It's been on. It's been there for a long, long time. He has a tremendous amount of uh, people that are vibrant on that board. So, and they're always talking about stripers and and that area. So he, cool. that would be a great place to ask a question. Uh, Dan's got a great website on, you know, all the types of flies that he, he's invented and used and all his patterns are fantastic. Nice. Um, and how to get rigged up and set up and all of that. But basically, you know, we use a lot of sinking lines, you know, we throw a lot of sinking lines in, in California because we, we fish, we're fishing in deeper water. If you're fishing off the beach, you know, you can get away with maybe an intermediate line, but a lot of times we're going to be using sinking lines. Are there different areas when you think about where you could fish? I mean, could somebody just as easy, like you said, go to a beach or a jetty or, or is it, are you going to have a lot more success, you know, in a boat? I think you can have success on foot or in a boat. It just, it's just a matter of understanding where the fish are and the tides and, and the types of baits okay. they're eating and well, just being in the right places. You can, you could do damage either way. Let's imagine somebody that, that, you know, doesn't have a boat. So they're just hitting the foot. And now, 
would it make more sense to find, you know, where would be a spot? So I guess, you know, like you said, go to the Dan site and you can check out some stuff there. But is the jetty or yeah. a beach? Yeah. I would say um, look at that Monterey area because um, those beaches there hold lots of stripers. And if, if you go down to those beaches, you'll see guys casting and, and fishing and just, you know, go up to them and talk to them and meet them. You know, yeah. I mean guys are pretty pretty generous and they'll they'll give you information but you know if you're passionate about it and you show up and you want to learn that's how i learned when i was a kid you know, I, I went to the beaches and saw the old timers and you know pestered them and they they were like okay this kid's really into it and they brought me in under my wing and and, and they, they gave me a little information at a time and and i was fortunate to, to to be you know to learn from them and 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 become successful so that's part of it. It's a community, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. a fraternity, um, especially the surf. The surf is definitely a com- uh, fraternity. So I would say, um, there are some clubs up there. I would look online. Like the, I think there might be one out of Santa Cruz and just go on this, their websites and try to try to reach out and, and, and ask people who's going on, who's fishing in the surf today, or, Hey, I'm, I'm new to the surf. I would love to learn. And, and, and this people are very generous. They'll, they'll help you. That's nice. what I would do. Okay. And what's the, just quickly on, on the gear, is it just your typical, like, uh, you know, what are you using for rod weight and, and, and lines and stuff? What do you guys got going there? Well, typically I fish a nine foot rod and I'll fish, you know, if I'm fishing in the surf, that's fairly, um, medium to to large surf. I, I'm going to use probably a nine or a 10 weight. Um, you could probably get away with an eight weight if you're a good caster. Uh, a lot of guys are going to the, to the little bit longer rods now because they want the distance and they want to cover more water. So they're fishing the switch rods, those 11 foot switch rods. Um, I don't necessarily think I need one. I can cast, you know, I can throw 80 to hundred feet with a, with a nine foot rod. So I, I just tend to stay with that. But if you need the extra, um, distance and you think that's going to help you, I would learn to uh, say it's something to definitely look at at the switch rod and see if you can learn to cast that it's nice also you don't have to throw a long back cast with the switch rod you can, th- you can roll cast and and get get line out there but pretty much you're looking for structure you know you're looking for areas that hold fish um the beach to the average person looks the same but once you start learning about the beach and going going down at low tides yeah. and understanding that there's going to be you know underwater cuts and, and troughs and structure that's where the, that, those are like fish highways so on the high tides they, they fill in and a lot of times the fish could stage in there. They can they can lay low. The waves can go over their heads. And when things when the bait fish get washed through there, they can come up and ambush them. So those are the areas you want to kind of focus on. And I always tell people never never own real estate. You know, like you fish an area. If you see a nice hole, fish it. You know, thoroughly, and then keep going. Keep mm-hmm. walking. You know, the more more area you cover in the beach, I think the better off you are. So because uh, fish are moving up and down, they're not just going to yep. stay in one spot. Um, and yeah, and then you want to fish a sinking line. I usually throw, you know, if I have an eight weight or a nine weight, I'm going to throw out like a 300 to 350, uh, grain shooting head, which means the first 27 feet, 30 feet of my line is, is, is the heavy part of the line. And then it's attached to a running line, which is very thin and more level. So it's literally like throwing uh, a plug only you throw 27 feet of it. And, um, you know, once the head is outside the rod tip, there's something we call overhang. You want to establish how much of that overhang works for you. It could be a foot, it could be two foot. That's where practice comes in. You got to really learn how to cast, you know, the shooting head because it's it's not a forgiving system. It's 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 it deals with gravity. You know, it wants to come down. So you have to use a Belgium style cast where you cast out to the side and then over the top. You want to keep everything away from you. You don't want to get hit by a, a shooting head. So you learn that. You know, I go to the park. I teach people all the time how to cast in the surf because it's, it's probably the most difficult way to fish. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, not a, it's not a forgiving environment. You know, you got waves moving around. You got people. It's, 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 it's tough. So yeah. you got to spend a little extra time learning the craft, learning how to use the rod and the, and the shooting head. And once you master that, then, you know, in California, that's the shooting head is really the key. You know, you use that inshore on a boat. Oh, you yeah. use it on the beach we use it everywhere because we're, we're fishing deeper water here in california so you need those heads to get down you know yeah. uh, i'll say where we'll say you know it's those surface activity and you'll throw a popper or you use an intermediate line i have caught big fish on intermediate lines you know 
in California, but there was situations where fish were on top. Yeah. You know, and I could see them. Yeah. Gotcha. What's the, can you clarify the, the overhang, what that is exactly? Sure. The overhang is the connection between where the shooting head stops and the running line begins. Okay. There's integrated lines that you yeah. can buy in a box, which pretty much is a smooth transition between those two points. And sometimes that's represented by a color change. You know, the head might be black and the running line might be blue. So it's clear and you can see it. So when I cast, I want maybe about a foot to two feet of the blue running line outside my rod tip. So when I make that final back cast and let it go, only the running line is going to shoot and I'll be able to throw a lot further. If I have my head all the way down into my guides and then I make the cast, it's got to clunk through. It's going to have a little bit more resistance getting out, out outside of the rod, tip of the rod. And now let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Sawyer offers a full line of modern and traditional products for oarsmen, canoeists, kayakers, surfers, and paddlers of all genres, providing unsurpassed function, performance, and beauty. In return, you have the assurance of knowing the product you receive from them is genuine, made in America, and cannot be replicated. I've been using Sawyer products for a long time now, which is why I'm definitely excited to share them with you on the podcast here. I've been down some crazy technical whitewater and mis- uh, mini fishing adventures that put me in places that were um, where I had to make a good move. And I, I love the design, the power, the performance, and always knowing that um, I can count on that stroke, even when you need to make you know that one to get past the rock or whatever. You can always count on Sawyer for that. And you can count on them as well. Sawyer products are designed by paddlers, oarsmen, and surfers alike to fully meet your performance needs. Pick up one today and experience the feel of water. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash Sawyer to grab your set today. That's Sawyer, S-A-W-Y-E-R, wetflyswing.com slash Sawyer to get started. Okay, back to the show. When you're teaching these, doing these classes, I mean, are you teaching, you're, you're doing false casts, a number of false casts or one false cast or how are you doing that? Because that is a struggle. You got this heavy thing, you know, this pendulum. Yeah, I like to teach in two stages. I like to take guys down to the park and we, we learn on the grass first and we learn about overhang. And I have a system that I, I use called the tango. It's called the tango. And it's, a th- it's like a three or four step system where, you know, you, you're stripping your, your head into the guides. You make a soft uh, roll cast to get the line on top of the water. Then you make another soft back cast and a forward cast where you release the head and drop it so that you have your overhang. And then you'd make one pickup and let it fly. And the reason we do that is because when I'm on water, I use the water to help my, my haul. Yeah. So, so once I lay my, my line out first, I just link a soft slop. Just a, I want the line to lay out straight. I, get, I just want the head to come out of the rod tip. So that, my, that final system where I, get that, where I make the final soft, roll, soft cast and shoot a little bit of line so that the head comes out. And it hits, as soon as it hits the water, I begin to start to lift. And I use the tension of the water to help load the back cast. Now my, my head is outside of the rod tip, and then I let it fly. And you can throw 100 feet, 80 feet, easy yeah. with a shooting head. That's right. So okay. that's kind of the, that's, so I start on grass, and then I take guys down to the, someplace where it's you know, very calm water. And we practice making that pickup off the water. And then, and then the whole system comes together. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And then is there a company of one, somebody want to pick up one of those shooting heads and all that stuff? Who would you, where would you direct them? This, all the great rod, uh, uh, I mean the fly, fly, uh, yeah, manufacturers make, make, make good, um, shooting head systems. Um, scientific anglers, Rio, um, I think echo, um, they're, they're all, uh, actually airflow airflow. Yeah. I, I would say that the three would be Rio scientific anglers and and um and airflow are great choices okay and if they say you know i'm not sure what you're using today but if they wanted to go buy one right now from one of those companies would there be a name or do they just say i want a 350 grain 350 grain shooting i think i think scientific anglers has a has a a line called a surf line which i helped design for them yeah you could they have one and i think also um uh Airflow has one called the Surfline. Okay. Okay. It's a, like a 20, 27 foot head type thing. And I think Rio, you can get um, outbound short. 
yeah, which is a good line. Or yep. you can get, uh, you can buy a head. You can actually buy a T8, any, anywhere from a T8 to a T14. You can buy 30 foot sections of heads and then you can connect them to a running line. And I would use a 0.035 around um, diameter running line. You want something that you can kind of hold. Yeah, on a little, a little bit. You don't want to use, thin. you don't want to use like a mono running line thing or any of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, the, the guys that fish the steelhead, they'll use a lot thinner. Yeah. lines and and it works for them um but i think in the surf um i think you want it, it, it avoids a lot of tangles as well yeah. i think if you have something that's you can hold on to a little bit i hope this is all making sense oh yeah but yeah. yeah this makes this makes total sense we've talked um you know we've had the first whatever they were for we've probably had 50 episodes just on steelhead so we've definitely talked about shooting heads and, and actually one of our sponsors right now is opst who makes yeah you know, OPST that. makes great running line they yeah, make a great running line exactly yeah yeah so they have the actually their their uh, switch rod would probably be would probably be a great rod for this because I, I've been noticing just using it that it actually casts a single a, a normal line and a and a skagit style line uh, but, but yeah I guess we won't dig into to all that right here but yeah well, no I think well, uh, I want to yeah. say one thing I want to say one thing about the OPST I think if if you're gonna build a little system for yourself for the surf. The running line that they have, I think, in the 50-pound weight, the 50-pound yep. running line, is a good one because you could hold on to it, and it, it works really well with like a T14 or a T8 or, or you know, yep. or T11. Yeah, it's all good. Perfect. Okay, so that gives us a little bit um, <clears throat> something to get going on. And so if we had the gear, we'll talk a little bit more about the gear, but let's just take it to the water. So we get to a spot where we've we found in low water that there's some good slots and, and those slots look like, I mean, if you find a boulder, uh, some big boulder stuff like that, are you looking for a lot of rocky structure around the beach? Down in Southern California, we don't have a ton of rocky structure. Yeah. I mean, we have a little bit, but not a lot up North. You have a little bit more. So if you're going to fish around rocky structure, I would fish flies that are like bendbacks where, where the, the hook is pointed up mm. and there's not a ton of weight on it because you, you, you don't want to get snagged up. Um, if you you know, if you're fishing off the beach, sandy beaches, you can fish clousers are really good. Um, I would say, yeah, just a, cl- a clouser yeah. minnow would be great or, or, or a deceiver style type fly. You know, if there's a lot of bait fish around fin bait, you know, stuff that's up on the surface. Um, as far as leaders go, literally, you know, a, a seven foot piece of 15 to 20 pound test. If I was targeting stripers, um, you don't need, you don't need it to be graduated it doesn't have to you know go from Mm -hmm. 40 to 30 to 20 you can do that if you want but you can literally get away with just a straight piece of a of 20 pound or 15 pound mono and then i like to use a loop knot at the end of my my leader i'll use a lefty gray loop knot because i like the 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 fly to swing and also if you're using a a sinking fly it helps the fly sink faster it just it'll just nosedive straight down and uh it it important you can impart a lot more um action in the fly so that's pretty much that's pretty much the deal. I mean, uh, stripping basket is a very important, um, to have one, uh, it contains your line. And, uh, it, especially if you're moving from one area to another, you're not dragging your line or having to strip your line out each time. Uh, I think that's important. Uh, a deeper stripping basket as well. Cause a lot of times, especially up North, you, you're going to deal with some wind issues and you want to make sure you, your line stays in your basket. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. And on, on the stripping basket, we've, I mean, is there a specific, uh, again, brand or company we could look at getting or could just go, go grab a, make a, you know, a DIY wash tub? Will that work or something like that? Yeah, you can DIY them. I, I probably have about 10 or 15 stripping baskets. Um, uh, uh, sea level used to make the best, I thought the best yeah. basket. I helped, I helped design it with Bob Popovics. It was, we, we created a deeper basket for the surf angler. Um, and, and it, it was great. And I think Ray, I think Ray is not in business anymore. So, okay. um, I don't know, know if you can get those, but, um, that, that to me seemed to be the best one, but there's lots of, um, ones just Google stripping basket. You'll see tons of them. Okay. You know? All right. I, yeah. yeah. Per- perfect. So again, now we're back to the water. So we found this spot. We, we know that there's some structure, you know, maybe there's a couple, maybe there's a rock here or there, but you're, you're out there now you're at more of a higher tide or what are you looking at as far as the tides? When, when do you, and conditions, does it matter? Can you go out there anytime and catch one of those guys? Well, stripers like rough water and they like overcast. So, um, that's, that's one thing that you know, you, there might be days when you're like, Oh man, it's too nasty out there. Well, if you can throw a shooting head and you can get a fly out there, 
you got a good chance of catching a striper when the water's nasty. They, mm. they like that stuff. But for the most part, you know, you're not going to be doing that. So I would say you concentrate on, on, on big tides. You know, I like the new moon tides uh, because they're big. And, and uh, th- as long as there's a lot of water moving through, a lot of things can happen. You know, bait is at the mercy of the tide and the wind. So when you have big tides, big, strong tides, you're going to get a lot of things happening on the beach. Um, I like the incoming tides. Yeah. Um, uh, so sometimes it's good to get down there when it's might be a little bit on the lower end so you can see the typography of the beach. Yep. And then watch it fill in and fish those areas if you're not familiar with that area. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, you know, the fish, the incoming to the high and then and then the falling tide is usually good. But there's going to be, you know, fishing is fishing. So there's going to be spots that you're going to learn that maybe as soon as the tide turns, you know, from low to high, it, it, it becomes a, a good spot because you can you can get out further. You know, you can get alongside of a jetty and wade out a little further because the water's lower and you can get and reach an area. So mm-hmm. there's lots of little things that you're going to learn when you get out there. But for the basics, I would say fish the um, uh, a good new moon tide. I like new moon because the fish aren't feeding as much at night. On the full moon, um, the tides are big. But what happens is a lot of times the fish feed at night. So oh. the fishing is in, a, yeah, in the daytime. Um, if new moon, big, uh, full moon tides are great at night. So if you're going to target stripers at night, if you have the ability to fish into a back bay, you know, when you can wade and it's safe, uh, a full moon tide would be great. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Anything else to be thinking about? I know there's obviously a, a lot more, but just other little, um, you know, for somebody again, who's kind of new to it they they got their stuff and they're going out there. Do you just, it sounds like you can just get out there. That's a good tip getting out there at low tide and watch it come in so you can kind of target it and then, and keep moving, right? Keep moving. If you don't get something, just keep moving it. Yeah. Keep moving. And, and, um, and again, you know, try to hook up with people that are in the area and make friends with them so you can fish alongside them, you know, and learn from them. That, that's the best thing you can do because fishing in the surf is not easy. It's, you know, I, I'm going to be very honest. It's not an easy thing to do if you're new to fly fishing. So Get a mentor, you know, get somebody that, that you, that you know is passionate about it and has been doing it for a while. And it's going to really up your learning curve and it's going to make it a lot more fun. Cause once you get the, once you get over the hump of, of being able to cast and, and, and read water and see it, then you really have it. it then the world is, is your oyster. You can go anywhere in the world and fish to surf. And it really becomes fun. You can get away for an hour or two and just, feel like you're a million miles away and and that's what i love about about the sport of fly fishing to me you know of course it's about catching fish but it's so much more uh, of just being down at the beach and 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 just forgetting about everything and letting all my you know my stress go away and just enjoying being part of nature and being part of the ocean um that 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 to me is is the allure it's always been the allure uh, for the ocean for me is it's just being there and experiencing i see so many different things and you know i meet so many cool people and it's, it's, it's just a wonderful place to be. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a great point is that, yeah. So if you get good at fishing stripers out there, you could probably take that technique, all that gear and go fish on the beach for all sorts of species. Is that pretty much true? Yeah. There's surf perch and there's, you can catch halibut, Rock surf perch. And everything, can, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, sometimes you can even get calico bass if you're fishing in rocky areas. Um, but for the most part, you're going to catch surf perch, yellowfin croaker. You, you might catch some halibut. You know, during the summer or in the spring, spring and fall, we have a good halibut run. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's all sorts of, there's Sargo, there's lots of stuff around rocky jetty areas that you can catch. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's cool. It's a cool, it's really cool. How is your area different than say, you know, SoCal versus NorCal? I, I've you know, heard some stories about your fishing out there and you, you know, you hit a, you know, somebody with your fly, it's so busy. Is, is it a lot different down there? Yeah, our beaches are busier. So what I like to do is I, when I do fish, I like to fish early in the morning until about maybe eight o'clock, and then I'm off the beach, especially in the summertime. Um, so I try to t- pick the tides that work the best for me and get down there real early, get my fishing in, and get off the beach. Um, that's when the, the summer is there, and there's junior lifeguards, and it's like people running around. It's, it's absolutely it's insane, but mm. it's weird because the best fishing we have, I think, in Southern California is probably from june to to august and that's that's when the corbina come up on the beach and um that to me is the most exciting surf fishing we have when when you can literally visualize and sight fish the uh, corbina they're in inches of water 
they're feeding on sand crab beds and um you can cast your flies you know and you literally you don't even go in the water you're on the you're on the sand and um and hook these fish and they're really challenging and that to me is that that made me a better bone fishing person it made me a better tarpon fishing and maybe fishing corbina for 25 years uh and getting my ass kicked by them um up my game so i think i think it's a great sport fish to, to target nice nice yeah that was something that uh I don't think we've talked about that species that much yet on this on this show, but yeah. So essentially, it, it's challenging, right? It's, it, is it harder? Would you say, like, compared to say fishing for like permit or something like that? Is it is it that challenging? Or I, I think it's it's just as challenging, if not more challenging, yeah. um, because um, with corbina, th- there's so many things that have to happen for it to for it to work. You know. Um, you gotta you gotta be in a good position. You gotta understand what the, what the fish are doing. You gotta fish the right flies. You gotta fish the right tides. Um, you know, when it all comes together, there's something called a magic window, which I, I call the magic window. It's in my book, and it's like a half an hour when the fish are all standing on their head, tailing, and that's when you you get your best shot to really get one. So um, it's I can't explain it to you. Uh, you'd have to see what I see. Yeah, uh, because not many people really corbina fish, but hopefully when they see the book that I just wrote, yeah, they're going to be blown away by the photography and 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 just the stories because it's it's really really an amazing fishery and and every I, I I would say every year I see more and more people out there doing it, which is really cool. Yeah. So and is that why that's interesting? Because with all the species around the the country, the world, uh, it seems like we've really hit you know everything, but. I mean, why do you think that is that more people haven't really got into it yet? Because first, they uh, Corbina have had this mystique about them that you can't catch them on flies. That's number one. And two, um, they are hard to catch. So a, a lot of people weren't catching them. But now, because of all the information's out there, people can go out there and target them and catch them. And you're seeing a lot of young people out there doing it and 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 being coming successful at it. And I, I think really they they were just a lost species you know what i mean it's almost like it's almost like the guys that was, that learned you know skateboarding in california and they started diving into pools empty oh, yeah. pools and and then it became this fad i think corbina is like the skateboard i mean corbina basically are now this really really cool fish that nobody everybody forgot about it really didn't wasn't on the ra- radar until like the last you know five or six years Amazing. and um and now it's it's like i have guys who are really, really great fishermen that fish all over the world that call me up and say, Q, I got to catch Corbina. I got to get one on my list. And I'm like, absolutely come down, you know, let's do it. That's right. So it's, it's, uh, it's a really, really neat thing. And I was so happy that I was kind of part of a, of a wave of, of, of fishermen that I fished very closely with what we called, we used to call each other the Corbina patrol just for fun. And, uh, we all kind of shared notes and flies and tried to fight to try to figure it out and break, you know, break the code. And we did. And, um, and uh, I, I just feel proud that, that I was part of that. So have you had uh, Jeff Courier down there? You, have you connected with him? Jeff has, Jeff hasn't uh, called me to come down. I'm sure, I hope he does because I'd love to get Jeff on the beach. So, so do you think he's, that that's a species that's not checked off his, uh, his 400 species, species list yet? You know, I don't think so, but I'm going to call him and check because I know he did a Corbina mug. I, I have it. I have a Corbina mug. It's in my book. Actually. That's awesome. So there, it could be that Jeff got one, and I, I wouldn't doubt he. he, he yeah, has I, I just he's caught everything that swims. But um, if he, if he hasn't, I'd love to love to get him on one. That's good. Yeah, I just had just uh, recently had Jack Dennis on, and we talked about a bunch of uh, the history and all that. And yeah, I, I didn't realize. I mean, he worked for Jack for almost thirty years down there at the shop. Yeah, so it was pretty cool. But yeah, and uh, I'll put a link out to those episodes as well as the uh, Jeff episode, which was a while back. Um, but cool. okay, cool. yeah. So it's good. Well, obviously, again, you know, uh, species wise and, and time wise, we never have enough time. I'd love to do cor. You know, is it Corbina or Corbino? Corbina. Yeah, Corbina. So. I'd love yeah. to dig into Corbina more, um, and maybe we can get you yeah, on it later. Yeah, that's a whole other world. Yeah, it's a whole, whole yeah, exactly. What's the name of your book? It's called The Corbina Diaries. Cool. And you walk through, is it kind of grab the book and you step by step to catching fish, or is it more a, like photo journal? It's, it's, it's a really different book. I wanted to write a book and design a book that was more for the, my younger audience. 
uh, most books, most fly fishing books are, are really cool, and but it's a lot of text, and you get a picture, and then there's text, and you get a picture. I, my, my book is like every page is different, so it's an experience. That's all I can tell you. Um, yeah. it, it's got a lot of different things in it, and, and people have really touted it as being one of the most coolest fly fishing books. I'd like to send you one, actually. Well, when we're done, you give me your information. I'd love to send you one. So. Oh, I love that. Uh, yeah, that'd be amazing, yeah. I, and I'll definitely uh, – you know, maybe we could do, actually, this is, uh, we just started doing this. This would be really cool to do because, um, I had a couple of listeners. I try to listen, you know, obviously listen to my listeners, whatever I can at this show. And, uh, I had this one guy that reached out and he said, man, you got to start doing some, some giveaways. I don't care what they are. It could just be some random swag. Somebody's like, you know, but you know, so I'm trying to do that. So maybe we could do a giveaway, just give away a book to somebody that, you know what I mean? Uh, somebody that wants to enter. Yeah. Yeah. We, absolutely. Like we can do that, but I want to send you one as well. Just so you have one for your shelf. Yeah, yeah, I will. I, and I'll definitely, I mean, my goal, and in fact, we're trying to plan a trip. We were, we were looking at planning a trip out more to the Midwest to do some like road trip with the family, but I'm kind of thinking, um, you know, depending on COVID, maybe doing something down there. So that'd be really cool to take your book and head down and, and <laughs> go for some of those fish. You know what I mean? They come back and check in with you. Oh yeah, absolutely. It'd be great. All right. It'll um, blow you, blow you away when you see them on the beach. You, you're not going to believe Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. TurtleBox is the loudest, truly portable, waterproof Bluetooth speaker available. Perfect for a skiff, drift boat, or your craft of choice. The guys at TurtleBox believe in respecting the peace and beauty while on the water, but listening to great tunes before or after can be amazing. I remember our last big river trip this summer, and it was cool to break out the Bluetooth speaker as we listened to some classic music and tried to play along with our guitars. Without a Bluetooth speaker, we would have missed a bunch of amazing opportunities and some good laughs. The features I love most on this one are the quality bulletproof frame, easy to push and lighted buttons, and uh, at home you can add another speaker for uh, stereo. Find out why TurtleBox is our go-to speaker and why it is great for the river as well. Head over to wetflyswing.com TurtleBox to support a great company, this podcast, and some tunes. Okay, back to the show. Yeah, what's the, just get a quick little snip, yeah, the difference between, you know, obviously the fishing, it sounds like it's a lot different than stripers, but it, is there any comparison between the two species? Um, not, not, not really. I mean, stripers will come into the surf and eat sand crabs. I mean, they will, that they'll do that for sure. But the Corbina during that part of the, just, just the timing, it's like, like I said, June through July, when the water temperatures hit about 67, 68 it's game on. They, they, I think they're in a sort of like a spawnish type of thing because they really school up. You see twos, threes, fours, fives, and they come in and they really concentrate on pounding the sand crab beds. So um, that's when we focus on them, and that's the that's the most visual time you can see them and, and have fun throwing flies at them. We just down downsize the system. You know, you still you can still use a shooting head or you can use an integrated um, head, but you can shoot, use a very light. Uh, um, sinking line, like something that's like 175 grains or 200 grains. And you can even use fly rods that like four weights, five weights and six weights. And um, intermediate lines are really good too, because they land soft. So um, you want a soft presentation and you want a system that's balanced so that it's enjoyable to cast. And uh, we're using small flies. So um, yeah, we're just downgrading everything. And we're not, we're not waiting. We're literally staying back and uh, fishing in, in water that might be, I don't know, six inches to a foot deep. So it's, it's cool. Okay. So, so again, we'll, we'll leave this to, uh, to another episode, but, um, I'm just curious on the distribution. Are these fish, do you know, or is it the same thing? Are they down more in that area or are they white more widely? Yeah. Distributed? Yeah. Cor Corbina will be as high up as Santa Barbara and then they go all the way down to Mag Bay in Mexico. So yeah. it's pretty much a Southern California fish when you're not going to see them up, up, up in North, NorCal at all. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, that's, that's good to hear. I mean, that's the cool thing about Southern Cal is that, um, you know, obviously you've got all these millions of people and different, you know, habitats and stuff and trout fishing maybe isn't the best right in close, but yeah, it sounds like you've got a number of fisheries down there. You know, I, what are the, I mean, how many species do you have down there that you could just from your house, you could go out and hit? Okay, I can go to my local uh, lakes, you know, or, or you know, man-made reservoir areas, parks, and catch bass, you know, um, freshwater bass. I can go to the beach and catch, you know, corbina, stripers, white sea bass, halibut, whatever. I can go to the LA uh, river systems, uh, the, either the LA River or mm -hmm. the Santa Ana River, and catch carp, you yeah. know. 
um, yeah, I can drive a little bit further north and catch some trout. So, yeah. um, but mainly a good trout fishing is going to be up in the Mammoth area. So you, you're going to have to take a four and a half to five, you know, four and a half yeah. hour drive. Yeah, gotcha. From LA. Yeah. So if you yeah. if if the conditions are perfect and you know it's pretty much the, from now until the rest of time, you can only go for one species down. What is it? Um. Well, in the summertime, it's definitely the corbina that that trumps everything else for me. Yeah. Um, this time of the year, I'm fishing bass in lakes. Um, uh, I will I will fish inshore. I was I was out Monday and I we caught we caught sand bass, calico bass, barracuda, you know, inshore. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I have there's lots of options. If you have friends that have boats, it's it's a lot of fun because you can get out close to close to the water here, right, right, right offshore, right here, inshore, tight fish the jetties, you know, uh, at night and you can catch tons of calico bass. Um, so there's lots of opportunities here in California. If you drive to San Diego, it's a two hour drive. I mean, you got Lake Henshaw, which is an epic carp fishery, you know, wade and, and, and sight fish for carp. And, and me and Conway, we do a, uh, an event called the carp throwdown. Hmm. Uh, we didn't do it this year because of COVID, but we might bring it back next year. And we time it during June because we have a hopper hatch down there and there's a lot of cattle out there and the cattle kick up the hoppers and they jump in the lake and the <laughs> carp literally, literally are eating dry flies wow so um and it's like one of the few places i know where you can catch carp on dry flies so we've we've, we've, we've done that for about seven or eight years we have a little tournament we have down there and we we, we it's just really fantastic called the carp throwdown so there's lots of fun things to do you know i mean i, I started the one surf fly years ago and i did that for nine years and uh, I had like 60 guys on the beach casting flies for, you know, on the surf. We had prizes. And we, we gave money to nonprofits. And it was a lot of fun. So huh. there's, there's lots of cool opportunities yeah. down here. Is that one surf fly? Because there was a, another uh, one flight right back in the day from the old school guys. Is that similar to that thing? Yeah, I actually took it from those guys that, that were doing it in the freshwater. But I just expanded it. What I, yeah. what I did is every, everybody brought a fly to my tournament. And... They put it in, they, we gave it a number and they threw it in a bag and then we shook up the bag and then let's say you came in Dave and you had a Q's beach bug, right? Yep. And you, you, your name. Okay. So we shake, you would come in and I said, okay, Dave, you're up. You come in, we shake the bag, you reach in and you grabbed a clouser from Joe Smith. Hmm. So I, I would record Dave Smith, Dave, I would say Dave Stewart and then next to it, I would say Joe Smith. Okay. So when you go, when we fished this tournament, it was only about two hours we would give a prize for the first fish the biggest fish and the most fish and we had spotters on the beach with cards that would record everything so let's say you get out there and you catch the first fish on joe smith's fly you'd win a prize and joe smith would win a prize hmm. because he submitted that fly and you can only fish one fly and if you lose the fly you're out so it was a really fun it kept everything equal you could be a, a 13 year old kid that just started or you can be a veteran of 60 years old if the veteran didn't get the best fly and the young kid got a great fly, he would outfish the guy, the veteran. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was just a very, very fun thing. It wasn't, it wasn't meant to be competitive. It was just meant to build, build camaraderie. Huh. And it was very popular. I was really proud of it. So that's cool. That's good. And June is right around the corner. Are you guys thinking maybe doing it this year? Uh, I stopped doing the one surf fly. I kind of handed it over to the Federation. Oh, right. And they do a, a different tournament now based on that. Yeah, they can do. I think they do it. I think it's what they call it, but they have a they have one that's based on my premise of how I set mine up, and they're doing a, they're doing their own, which is good. I'm glad it's still going. So okay, cool. Well, we're gonna take us out here in a little bit. I've got this little segment called the 222 where we talk about some tips and flies and stuff like that. But uh, before we get there, I want to hear the Tail Magazine. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the that magazine and what your role is there, and maybe just describe to somebody who who's never read it. Sure, sure. Tail Magazine is is the premier saltwater fly fishing magazine. It's out of Florida. Uh, Joseph Ballerini is the publisher. Um, I was really fortunate. I reached out to Joseph this year, and he um, we talked about California, and he was it's, it was an area that he was trying to get more exposure. So, um, you know, they're really really strong on the East Coast and in the Gulf. Uh, it's it's a bi monthly magazine. It's phenomenal photography. Really great articles. And, uh, he, uh, he asked me if I wanted to help him, help him out and getting content. So I said, sure. And so he, he put me on as a West coast contributing editor, which I started in March and 
to make it even nice, actually even more fun for me, he, he said, he said, Q, if you want, let's give you the July, August issue and, you know, reach out to, to, to some people, you know, and see if we can put together a West Coast issue about fly fishing and salt water on the West Coast. So mm-hmm. I got some really great articles coming in for July. I mean, everything from Mako sharks on fly to spotfin croaker, you know, sight fishing spotfin croaker in, off the surf. So um, I'm really excited about that. So That's yeah, cool. so I'm involved, and it's it's a, it's a you know it's it's a good magazine to to um, subscribe to, especially now, because we're going to have a little bit of a West Coast presence, and it'll be fun to read things about our coast as well. So. No, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, and I'm sure, like I said earlier, we've got a bunch of people over on the East Coast and up in the Midwest and around you know kind of the area. So that I'm sure they a lot of people are aware of that uh, magazine as well. And who? So some of these uh, articles you have going here are they? Uh, can you name a few of the people, some of the uh, the authors there that wrote these? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I, I have one by that will be done by Kirk Dieter and Conway Bowman uh, on a trip we we took years a few years back for uh, fishing for giant makos. We hooked uh, makos that were from six hundred to eight hundred pounds, and I got some amazing photography on that. So that's going to be an amazing article. Um, my friend Nick Flix, who's a young uh, guide. He works at Patagonia. He just wrote an article about calico, cal, fishing calico bass at night. How do you spell his last name? B-L-I-X-T. All right. Um, so he, he wrote an article. I have uh, Dave Shanzai, who has that podcast with uh, Alex Ramirez, um, beer, f- fishing, and food, or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he wrote a really cool article on Spot and Croker. Um Let's see what else I got. Uh, I'm, I'm doing one with Bon Pottermore, who's a guide here in Southern California, a really good guide. And uh, we're doing it on Yellowtail. We got a Catalina. Uh, John Sherman's going to send me one on surf fishing for striped bass, which we just talked about. Mm-hmm. And um, I have one more. I'm trying to think. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So anyhow, yeah. there's a bunch of them coming oh, in. It's gonna be so great. when they when these come in, um, you know, I'll put a link out to the magazine and stuff. Is this going to be... Um, an online or both or how's that look? It'll be online and both. Oh yeah. The last one was Paul Cronin is doing one on Corbina fishing and Paul Cronin is a good friend of mine. He, he kind of came up with the fly, the surfing Merkin, which is the really like a go-to pattern for uh Corbina and based it on the, on the actual Merkin fly that Del Brown used to use for a permit. And it seems to work real well. So, yeah. Okay. Perfect. No, that sounds awesome. And there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, and then just on that, a little bit on the subscription. So is this like a subscribe? And you said bi-monthly, so that's just six six times a year. You have a yeah, six issues a year. Um, yeah, you you can subscribe online, and I think they do have an online version that you can get as well. Okay, you know, well, digital I'm, version. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm always yeah. curious to hear. It's uh, interesting, especially as the uh, you know things change with the publishing. You know, you, you've seen actually. I think we've all seen a number of these magazines that we love have, have kind of changed or gone away. You know, it's kind of an interesting time, but that's good to hear the tale still going strong. Yeah. I think it's in its eighth season and it's doing really well. It's actually building momentum and, um, uh, Joe's, you know, really dedicated to it. You know, he's, uh, he's got good people on board and, you know, it's, it's organically growing. So I think the subscription rate is like something like 10, 10,000 now. So it's good. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, let's, uh, yeah, let's take us out here. The, the 222 is, uh, kind of your top two tips, flies and, uh, top resources. And uh, we were talking about, uh, stripers, you know, mostly today. So can you give us, you know, you're, again, you're going out there, let's just take it to the, to the, the beach or whatever. What flies are you putting on there? Do you have a couple of flies? Yeah. Uh, I, I would say the, um, the flash tail clouser would be a good fly to fish for stripers. Um, also, a Semper fly. Uh, a good resource would be Bob Popovic's books on fly tying. He's got two of them, and he's got some of the greatest patterns in the world right now. If you study his books and his patterns, there's no stopping you. He's he was one of my mentors in fly tying, mm-hmm. and um, I, I I just owe so much to Bobby. Uh, spent a lot of time with him at the Vice, so he's a great resource. Bob Popovic is a great resource, and Dan Blanton. Yeah. Um, like that, that Dan Blanton board, go on there. Dan's got lots of fantastic patterns. His go-to pattern is the whistler, the flash tail whistler, which we fish in the Delta and it just crushes fish. So that's something to look at. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It gives us something to go on. 
So now let's let's go back, you know, again, taken to the water. So we're sitting there and we're we feel like we got some good structure, uh, but we're not catching any of these stripers yet. What, do you have a tip, a couple of tips you might give somebody to help them maybe locate, find, catch their first fish? You got to keep things in perspective. If the ocean is pretty nasty and pretty rough and there might be a lot of current, I, I wouldn't really fish the fly because it's not fly friendly. Okay. So you fish the fly when it makes sense. All right. You know, yeah. there, there are times when the, when the ocean's really crazy and I might, I might put my fly rod down and fish, fish a spinner rod. So you fish the fly when it's, when it, when it's safe and when it makes sense. Okay. That's the first thing. Yeah. Second thing is you got to learn how to cast the shooting head system. So I would say take some lessons or meet some people that know how to do it and learn from them. That's the second thing. And the third thing is you got to be patient because it's a difficult, if you're going to make the commitment and say, I want to be a surf fly fisherman, you're in a fraternity of people that have all taken their hard knocks. So you're going to have to go in there, learn it and stay at it, you know, and then eventually you're going to get rewarded and you're going to be rewarded in a way that you'll be rewarded like no other. It's one of the greatest achievements you can, you can have is catching fish off the beach um, and doing it on your own DIY. So one, another thing I like to tell people is watch the waves. You know, you don't cast when a wave is coming right at you. Wait for the wave to, 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 to come down and then cast over the second wave. You, know, okay. you want to fish behind the waves. Okay. Yeah. So it's a ballet dance. It's a dance. You have to, you have to understand the That's rhythm great. of the ocean. Okay. And you, and you, and you do get the rhythm of the ocean after you get down there a few times, you start understanding it and you start, everything kind of just drifts away and then you don't even realize you're fishing once you start learning the system and getting out there and doing it. So, um, and also just have, you know, be patient and, and mm -hmm. don't get discouraged. Uh, it's very easy to get discouraged in the surf. There's going to be a lot of days you're not going to catch fish, but the days you do catch fish are going to just trump all the days that you didn't catch fish. And I guarantee it, if you stick with it, um, it, it's something that you're going to really enjoy and, and, and it's going to make you a better fisherman when you fish other types of fishing. So that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, this is, this is great. I think I'm going to, I think this year I'm going to try to do a little more, you know, just kind of, you know, obviously there's lots of different species all over the coasts, you know, so I'm going to do a little more of it. Are you the type of person down there where you got your, you know, you got your fly gear, you got your spin gear, and then you also got your surfboard and you're going to have out there do a little surfing after you, you know, before, after fishing. I, I love to do it all. I mean, I'll throw a harpoon. I mean, I'm just, I'm into fishing every, every type of way. And, and I want to learn as much as I can. I fish the last few years. I fished with a, one of my friends, Denny, who's a great bass fisherman. Oh, he's a great all around fisherman really. And I wanted to learn more about freshwater bass. And I spent some, a lot of time with him and it was so much fun watching him fish and, and using wacky worms and just doing fun things that I normally wouldn't do. And I just, I love it. I love it all. So but you don't have a surfboard. You're not out there surfing the. I'm not a surfing guy. I'm a guy from Brooklyn, man. I had yeah. concrete <laughs> around me growing up. There was That's no, right. there were no waves, you know. Yeah, but I, I, I admire people that board fish, and I admire people that surf. I think it's wonderful. Right. In fact, in the mornings when I go down to the beach, the surf guys and the surf women, I see them get coming off the beach in the morning because I'm down there early, and they are so present. Their eyes are bright. They yeah. just, they, it's like they, they, they face the day. And it, it's like they're alive. And yep. I just love that about them. Yeah. That, that is cool. That is cool. Yeah, I, I hear you. Cool. Well, Al, I think we're. I'm feeling pretty good about this. Just a couple more before we get out of here. A um, couple of random ones. I always love to ask, um, you know, the, the music question is, is always a good one. I love. Uh, but before we get to that one, just uh, Lefty Cray. We, we haven't talked to Lefty. I've, I'm on a Lefty Cray role because we just had a recent episode where we kind of celebrated Lefty and everything. But um, yeah. any, He's I know, you, yeah, you knew him a little bit. Do you want to give us a quick, uh, lefty story? Anything come to your mind when you think of lefty? You know, lefty was a beautiful person. I, I was very fortunate to know him for many years and, um, I met him up on hot Creek, uh, a long time ago. I took a class actually it was, yeah, it was a class fishing the lefty cray at hot Creek. And I, I couldn't believe it. it was actually the real lefty cray. That's how I first met him. And he was just so giving and so wonderful. And, um, he was my mentor. And it was one of the few people in the industry that I could truly say that I could always call and always get the right answer. You know, he was very willing to share uh, whatever he knew. If I was going any place in the world, I would say, hey, Lefty, I'm going here. What do you think? You know, what should I do? And he would always tell me the, all the right stuff. And um, he was just uh, – there, there was only one Lefty. Yeah. I mean, never going to see another Lefty, unfortunately. Um, he was he was really great. Um, lefty stories um, – 
you know, the, the, for me, the, the, the best part about Lefty was going to some of the shows and, you know, being around him. And then at night, going back to the hotel and, you know, ponying up to the bar or, and Lefty come showing up and just Lefty telling us funny stories and everybody just laughing and laughing and laughing. And, you know, those were the memories that I had that That's I wish cool. I could bottle. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. That's right. Was Lefty, I can't remember, was, was he, uh, he wasn't a big drinker, right? No, not at all. Not yeah. at all. That's right. Yeah, he was just. Uh, yeah, he loved he loved hamburgers and he loved them. He loved them burnt. He yeah, liked he liked the meat or heat and meat were the two things that he kept. He liked to say, you know. Did you know he had a a strain of anthrax named after him? Yes, I did. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I had the uh, uh, yeah that episode we did. We had the um, one of the editors of uh, of one of the big magazines just kind of talked about. You know the lefty story. Yeah, there's a bunch of good stories. I'll put a link did, out to that. Did one. you Did you know he was in the Battle of the Bulge? Yeah, yeah. I, we talked about that. We talked about. Um, yeah, we covered a lot. I think you know we covered a lot in that episode. A lot that I didn't know. I mean, obviously, and th- like you said though, there was there's only one lefty. That that's the thing. And the mentor thing. I remember Fit, uh, Flip Pallet mentioned that on another show that he felt like he would hear people that didn't even really know lefty at all, but they would say, yep, lefty was my mentor. You know, like everybody felt like he was their mentor, which is amazing. I mean, that guy would hit such amazing hand and eye coordination. He, you know, when he was, he was, he grew up a very poor kid in Maryland and, and, you know, he, you know, he loved, he had to hunt and fish to really, you know, survive, yeah. to feed his family. You know, his dad died when he was young. So, but you know, he's one of the few people I know that could shoot an aspirin out of the sky, you know, on a BB gun. Huh. I mean, he was just absolutely incredible, you know, so there was only one lefty. That's cool. All right, Al. Well, uh, and there's only one Al, too. You know, I mean, this, the, the, especially your last name. I love it. The Al Q. It, it resonates so well. So uh, I'm excited to share this one with everybody. And uh, uh, before we get out of here, uh, the music thing. So just give me a little bit. What do we listen to? So you, you're either getting off the water. You're going to be playing some tunes. Do you have a band type of music you, you love to listen to? Well, I do. I, I've done a lot of music stuff in my in my career you know i did a lot of movie stuff and music stuff and the last the last record i just worked on which was like a month ago was for a band la band called uh, los lobos oh yeah They're from east la yeah and we just did their last record and it's it's going to be a great record it's it's a it's all a bunch of cover songs because you know during covid they were uh they were kind of like trying to re-figure out who they were and and they all decided why don't we all pick a few songs that we used to listen to when we would play in, in the garage you know like that influenced us. So they, they picked a lot of great music, a lot of B sides and stuff from, from records that, you know, of all bands that kind of came through LA, you know, like the beach. Boys. I was going to say the beach boys. So they did. So Los Lobos did a beach boys song. They did a beach boys song yeah, on this new record. So Wh- which one? Um, can't, you know what? You got me. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's an off. No, it's, it's not, it's not, oh, it's not like, uh, yeah, it's not yeah, the it's, help it's, me it's Ronda or anything that, like that. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. They picked, they picked real interesting stuff. So, oh, cool. um, I love, yeah, I love Los yeah. Lobos. So I haven't heard of those guys in a while. So I'll put a link in the show notes out to a nice uh, video. Um, and then just briefly, I, I know you have another kind of line of work you're talking about here. What, what, what is that? What was your role with uh, Los Lobos? Uh, I work for, a, uh, I have a company, me and my, a business, my business partner, Jeff Smith, we, we do, a, we do a company called, um, tornado creative and, um, we, we do a lot of music packaging. We do a lot of, um, we, we do some entertainment, we do corporate. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've been, we've been nominated twice for Grammy awards. We won once, um, in, in 1997 for Titanic, um, we we've done a lot of cool stuff. What's the Titanic? I know that this is we're going down. Open up a box, but it's interesting. So what what do you yeah, like for the yeah. Titanic? Yeah. So we did. There's two categories that the Grammys have every year for music packaging. It's um, single package and box sets, and and you there's a design uh, Grammy award for that for those. So in 1997, we we won for um, the Titanic. Music is heard on the fateful voyage. It was by Ian Whitcomb. And it was a bunch of songs that he picked from the White Star songbook, which was the songbook that they used on the Titanic. He, he went back and he recreated the music as historically accurate as he could. It was the same year that James Cameron did the movie. Um, but this this was the real deal. And this was the real music. And we won for Best Package Design that year. We won a Grammy. And then a couple of years after that, we, won, we, we were nominated for a box set, multiple CDs for uh, Los Lobos. Um, and, uh, we didn't win that, that one, but we got nominated, which is kind of cool. 
So, um, yeah, and I've done a lot of, a lot of entertainment stuff, you know, like, like, um, Edward Scissorhands and Home Alone and, um, T2, Terminator 2. I oh, did yeah. that, that, that poster and oh, gotcha. you know, back in my early, my, back in my early days, I did a lot of, a lot of movie poster stuff. So, so the, the whole design, the whole design thing is kind of fun because it's something that, that's my meat and potatoes. And I've translated a lot of the design work that I've done into, the fishing world as well i've done a lot of really cool uh brands for for fishing which is a whole nother story so, yeah, but anyhow yeah. all right al well hey thanks for coming on here this has been a lot of fun i uh definitely i hope uh, you feel good about you know digging into the stripers and i think people probably have some a little bit of help to get started so yeah until we uh, talk again thanks for all your help today dave it was a pleasure and um let's let's connect on your uh, address i want to get you a book all okay right? all right thanks a lot see you man so there you go. If you want to find all the show notes and all the links we covered, just go to webflyswing.com slash 219. That's 219. I uh, want you to uh, check out our live podcast we have going periodically, uh, webflyswing.com slash live. And if you can't get in there, just send me a, a message and I'll, I'll let you in the door there so you can check out, uh, raise your hand, come up on stage. That'd be great. Uh, that is pretty much a wrap. That's about all I have for you this week. We're going to get out of here, and uh, I'm not quite sure who we have on ta- uh, tap next, but click uh, click ahead. Uh, please subscribe if you haven't, or follow either way uh, to support the show. And I want to thank you again for spending time today. I hope to maybe catch you online or on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.